This is the Teacher Wellbeing Podcast brought to you by Self-Care for Teachers, helping you prioritize your health, happiness and well-being so that you can thrive in the classroom and in life. I'm your host, Ellen Ronalds Keane, reminding you that you're a person first and a teacher second and you are allowed to look after you. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Teacher Wellbeing Podcast. In today's episode, I have a really great conversation with Wendy, who is a teacher and has also been participating in the first round of the Resilient Teacher Coaching Program this year. And so, we have a fantastic chat about uh, Wendy's background and, and her some of the health challenges that she's had and how the learnings from that, but also the experiment that has been going on with uh, her school and and maybe there's similarities for you in your school, the ways COVID disrupted quote-unquote normal life um, and and how that's really played out for her in um, helping cement some uh, new habit changes and getting more clear around the importance of self-care and the importance of making sure that you're looking after yourself as a person first and a teacher second. So I really hope you enjoy this conversation with Wendy. Wendy um, also uh, occasionally writes on her blog, uh, Winifred Bell Tiny Writings. And so I will pop a link to that in the show notes as well. The other thing to know about this interview is that it was a really windy day in Toowoomba when we recorded. So you might hear the windows rattling and a bit of background noise from my end. And also Wendy's dog was in the background. So there's a couple of times where you hear some some doggy noises and, and ears flapping and that sort of thing. But otherwise, I have a few other updates before we get to the interview. Just some reminders, really. So, if you're listening to this episode the week that it goes live, then you have just a few days to take advantage of a few different cool offers. So, number one, uh, the Australian Teacher Health and Wellbeing Survey is open until the 12th of July. So, if you want to have your say in this year's survey, swipe up and take 20 minutes to go through the questions and share your honest answers. That would be fantastic. Number two, the replays of the free workshop series about teacher resilience and well-being are still going to be live on Facebook until the end of this week. Um, and after that, they'll end up in the freebies library. So, check that out. Swipe up. There'll be a link in the description of this episode. And of course, the next round of the Resilient Teacher Coaching Program starts on Saturday, the 11th of July. So, you can go to selfcareforteachers.com.au forward slash resilient teacher or swipe up. There'll be a link in the description of this episode to find out more about that. And really, I think if anything in Wendy's story resonates with you, then that program will be a good fit. I'm going to tell you a little bit more about it at the end of this episode, but if you know that changing your habits and putting yourself first as a person first and a teacher second is important to you in the second half of this year, then I highly recommend jumping into this round of the program. It's going to be great. And now here's the interview with Wendy. Hi, Wendy. Thanks for coming on the Teacher Wellbeing Podcast. Oh, hi. It's my pleasure. Happy to be here. I'm really glad you're here. Uh, We'll start with all the usual questions. Can you tell me and everybody a little bit about your background and your teaching context? Oh, okay. Well, my initial job or career move after school was to study uh, music, which I did, with the intention of never becoming a teacher. 
Uh, <laughs> and, yeah, I sort of stuck to that pretty hard for a while that I wasn't ever going to go into teaching. But I did then find myself teaching instrumental music uh, at a regional independent school in Queensland um, for a few years. And I quite enjoyed it. But again, I thought, I don't want to do this for the rest of my life. So I went back and did some study and did some postgraduate study in cultural studies and fell into teaching with a university preparatory program or enabling program for adults wanting to go back to university who hadn't maybe finished secondary school or who hadn't had, you know, got the marks that they wanted that they, or that they needed to go on to university. And I did that for just over a decade, which was a really great learning experience for me as an educator teaching adults is sometimes a whole different ball game but sometimes not that much different to you know teaching very tiny people uh, so that was good but yeah then I sort of felt it was time for another change and after a little while out of education I have returned to it in the last uh, four years now in a, a high school a Catholic high school where I am teaching English and a tiny bit of music and also working as a teacher librarian. So, yeah, and I've also always taught music privately, taught the piano in a like a small teaching studio, if you want to call that, uh, in a fancy way. But, um, so, yeah, but I'm doing that probably less than I used to do, you know, having less students than I used to when I'm working full-time. So Yeah, working full-time as a, as a high school teacher. Yeah, it keeps me quite busy enough. <laughs> <laughs> it certainly does. So, I mean, you know what this is about. This is the Teacher Wellbeing Podcast when we talk about, you know, health and well-being. And I know you've had some ups and downs with that, particularly some really big challenges with teacher well-being. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, sure. Well, I think... The thing with that, you know, I've realised about myself is that I'm one of life's natural warriors and I'm also a perfectionist. So those two things go really well together, obviously. Um, so I've definitely had some issues with being anxious and having anxiety and things like that, which first manifested about 10 years ago, uh, which I did get some help with. So that was when I was working at, in the tertiary sector and worked quite hard to manage that myself with meditation and exercise as well as, you know, seeing a doctor and other people to get some professional help, which was really good. But then I've also had, I also had some issues that sort of flared up with uh, endometriosis, which was, I didn't really realise that I had, as lots of women don't. And that was explaining a lot about my fatigue that I was feeling. And so that was good to know. And then, yeah, I've since going back to high school teaching, I've really remembered about how intense the terms can be. And then you sort of have this big drop off. So you have these sort of peaks and troughs that you go through in terms of energy and feeling exhausted. Um, and that sort of for me came to a head at the end of last year where I was actually so physically and mentally tired. I actually thought that was, I had some kind of, it couldn't have just been that I was tired. I you know, really believed I had a medical condition <laughs> that would have had to explain which the degree of that. Yeah, which was a little bit scary, but got tested and luckily had a really 
good long break. And now again, you know, it's like a wake up call every time that happens because I then realised that, oh, I'd actually fallen out of doing exercise and I'd actually fallen out of, you know, looking after myself and putting myself first. And I kept saying yes to everything, which is my sort of default mode. So that's made this year very different for me in terms of just really trying to stay very aware of what I'm committing myself to and how I'm managing my time and trying to really be very strict with myself about downtime and saying no to things. Yeah. So. And I know that you had this resolution for for want of a better word before COVID turned everything upside down. So I think actually you're the first interview with a teacher since, you know, like the the first interview with a teacher, all my other interviews this year were recorded before that. So interesting it, to, I suppose, reflect on the fact that I know that this was, you started the year, this, well, having had this really difficult end of last year, health experience, and then really determined not to go down that road again this year. And then <laughs> it's like the universe just threw some, threw some extra, extra stuff in the mix. Well, it did. It threw some extra, but it threw some extra, but then it also actually allowed me to take more of that rest time in a strange kind of way. So, while actual school in terms of the way we were operating changed really drastically and quickly, everything else stopped, which was actually, I hesitate to use the word fantastic, but for me it was fantastic. All the extracurriculars, all the other personal commitments, everything. Yeah, like I wasn't, you know, I still have some music things that I would do, so I wasn't having to do those or think of reasons why I couldn't go because I was feeling tired. Um, So life became very, very simple. It was going to work and then coming home and actually having time to think about going for that walk or, you know, going to bed on time and early because of the way our school changed its timetable in the day. We were all getting our prep and planning done while we were at school and not having to do that stuff, you know, at night at home as much. So suddenly sort of had quite a lot of free spare time for that, I guess, that rebalancing or recalibrating that you have to do or you need to do at the end of every day. So for me that's been good. You know, I didn't feel like I had to say yes to, you know, managing a netball team or whatever it was that I was doing in those other years, you know, and we weren't doing the Readers' Cup and I wasn't, running creative writing after school and there was no tutoring and all those things which you do because, you know, you need to do them really or you feel compelled to if that's your vocation. We had a nice break from from them. And I actually, looking back now, that was quite a, it was like a little, not like a holiday time, but just a way of being that was quite restorative in many ways yeah so yeah so that was an interesting positive in amongst all the other uncertainty that's been happening for educators I think yeah so much uncertainty and I think you know different states have had obviously different entirely different COVID situations anyway but also different schools have handled things very differently you know I've obviously at your school that there wasn't the expectation to be you know, responding to parent emails and phone calls in the evenings and things like that because I have been hearing 
some of that as well, which is, so it's almost this, there's these sort of parallel experiences. On one hand, people feeling like, well, this has been harder than ever. (laughs) And on the other hand, you know, some teachers like you having had this real kind of insight into, oh, this could be what life would be like if we actually had some of those other extras and there's just this really single focus. Yes. Well, it was just sort of like, well, this is what school would be like if we just did this educating. (laughs) Um, No, it's not quite the right word. Or if we just, if we really focused on what was, you know, the curriculum, I guess. And I, you know, and I know that school is more than that. And we still were doing things, you know, with pastoral care and, you know, the school community. But with a lot of that stuff, other stuff stripped away, like, you know, kids out for sport and busy school for this, that and the other and excursions and all that other kind of extra that we we just take as given now, lots of people I was talking to were just sort of saying, oh, well, we just really get the work done. You know, and I guess that's a pretty high school perspective too, because the kids are more independent and and other things. But it was, and I and I had time to do like we did so much planning and creation of resources that we had time to to do. You know, when the kids actually came back, I felt like I was back to scrambling again from day to day. So, and we also shortened our lessons as well. So we went to fifty minute lessons instead of 70-minute lessons, and that was a, a whole revelation for many people that I talked to, and including the students, whether they were at home or at school, were just saying, oh, this is great, you know, we just get in and do, do the work. Focus. Yeah, yeah, and know that there's only that much time, so there's a lot less sort of waiting and, you know, being sort of let's hurry up and all that kind of stuff. So it was... It's like a little window into some things that I think could be taken on board in the future that would be good, not just for, I'm not just talking about teachers and their energy levels, but just the whole idea of how we do our schooling in Queensland. But also I I know having been a music teacher myself and also having been someone that's been involved in a lot of extracurricular music activities in my life, there are times when you know, for me, it was always brass band or concert band or things like that, where, wow, that's that's an after-dinner activity, you know, I turn up at 7 p.m. and we rehearse on a Monday night till 9.30 p.m. or whatever. And some weeks it's just I don't have the energy. But actually, when all those things are cancelled, you don't have to say no or pull the energy out of somewhere to, to show up. You actually get an insight into, oh, this is what it would be like if I wasn't involved in this activity. And I And it's, you know, it's really not a either or. It's not a simple equation because obviously we don't do those kinds of activities because they don't bring us any joy. We, we, you know, there are other reasons to do them, but given that saying no was kind of one of your resolutions, I suppose, this year, I know that for you, COVID and the, some of the lockdown or shutdown sort of requirements sort of helped with that. Well, it just took that guilt of saying no out of the picture as well, like I, because there was no other option, to no, no one was going. So I didn't have to actually, you know, gear myself up to be that person who wasn't going to turn up again, you know, because, you know, they knew they had a big day the next day and they needed to steal themselves for it, whatever it might be. So that was a relief for me, I, you know, so that was another a bonus of the 
the corona business. And as well as that teaching at home, which I always had been doing on a Saturday morning. Piano teaching. Yeah, piano teaching. So I did stop that and offered online like Zoom lessons, which I then did in the week. And it just, I wouldn't do it, you know, forever. But for that short time, for that time as well, it was so much less trouble. It was a far simpler thing to give a lesson that way um, and have it done and have my Saturday mornings, which I did in the week, and have my Saturday free, which just made the weekend have that little bit more time as well for if I needed to mark or I needed to get something ready for the weekend at school. I just felt like I could breathe a little bit more on the weekend as well, which is, you know, so valuable. So I think, you know, while many of us were concerned about going to school, given the, you know, public health sort of things and we're, you know, looking at all these people working from home with lots of envy, the gift of time that we got was not, it's not something I had thought about when I was being cranky about having to go to school <laughs> and, and it's something that I'm quite grateful for having had this year in particular. And, you know, I think the, the guilt-free opportunity to experiment with some alternative ways of doing things without having to have any of that, you know, thinking going on about, oh, have I let anyone down or uh, am I being, am I overthinking this or, you know, all the stuff that goes through all of our minds when we feel like we want to say no to something, whether or not, often that's only in our thinking. It's not, it's a story we tell ourselves. It's not necessarily the, the, <laughs> the way anyone else is perceiving it. Exactly right. It's often a story we're telling ourselves, but it was like the, the permission, I suppose, to get rid of all of that. Yeah, I didn't have to ask anyone for that permission. It was just sort of granted. <laughs> and, yeah, it did take away a lot of that that worry and self-talk about am I being a good person by not wanting to, you know, by am I letting people down? Am I, you know, or I'm, I'm indispensable obviously so I still have to make myself go to these things or spend this time, you know, because that's what people expect without thinking about, well, what actually is it that I want to do and how I want to spend my time? And what does your body need? Yeah, that's right. You know, and so it was sort of, it had to be okay to stay home. So, and I pretty quickly got used to that, I have to say. (laughs) (laughs) So what are you taking forward then, you know, in terms of, uh, obviously we don't know what's going to happen with covid uh, in various states, we're in Queensland, both of us, and, and obviously there is right now as we record, there are some suburbs in Victoria back under lockdown. So, I mean, we, we don't know, none of us knows what the future holds in wherever we are, but expecting that probably things will be quote unquote more normal next term or a new normal, but kind of a lot of those face-to-face things all back happening. What are you taking with you from from this time, from this little mini experiment? (laughs) Well, I'm really trying hard to take the, I don't quite know how to describe it. I'm really trying to, I guess, keep it, keep that feeling going of that it's okay. It's okay to put myself first. (laughs) What a revelation. Um, (laughs) Um, but also, I think it's something that's really important is that, and 
we all know this in our mind, but, you know, I'm definitely not indispensable. So if I don't go to something that's extra, something else will happen. You know, like I think if, if that, the, the situation with COVID has taught us anything is that there's always another option in a way if something has to be done. We can do things differently. You know, and I think educators showed that really quickly. You know, we were given that week to sort ourselves out basically before Easter and then hit the ground running. We can adapt really quickly to a new situation and I think that's important to take forward. So if something generally, you know, just in general life is not working, you know, just look for another. There's got to be another solution. And if there isn't also... That's all right. You know, like I think that we think we often like to think we're indispensable because that gives us a sense of, you know, value and what have you. But in the end, nothing really matters except staying well and healthy. I think that's the big lesson that has really come with me out of the last term. So if staying well and healthy means not doing something or doing something differently, for me, that's what I will do, I guess. Yeah, so I think it's really, if anything, it's prioritised my own awareness of how I need to stay well and healthy, whether that's, you know, mentally, emotionally, physically, whatever, even more than before. And so I do find it quite baffling when I see decisions being made that don't put that at the forefront of the decision-making process. So understanding that, you know, we need an economy and all those other things, it's not going to be any good to us if, you know, people aren't there to flourish in it later. So I just, yeah, I think that's a, a, a tension that I find myself probably battling with each day as I read the news and follow things on social media. But for me, that's become the most central motivating factor probably about everything that I do you know where I buy when I go out what I choose to do with my spare time it's you know like if if I think it's like I've had lots of people say oh what are you doing in your holidays are you going anywhere I'm like no I'm not actually (laughs) um and that's good I'm happy you know because I feel like I'm doing the right thing for myself, by myself, yeah. Yeah, and letting letting your body recharge. Do you think that experience of just having pretty much been hospitalised from exhaustion at the end of last year, that being the personal revelation perhaps and then the, the pandemic being a kind of global example of that, really it is that tension, as you said, that so many of us are walking day to day between what do I need for my health and well-being and what are the other demands of the world and other people's expectations and all the other things? What's that demanding of me and, and how can I actually... They don't have to be mutually exclusive. No, not at all, not at all. But the balance has to be, I think, tipped towards, you know, looking after yourself. It's actually no good for anybody else, you know. You can't can't do anything for anyone else unless you're looking after yourself as well so even if it's just that you know little one percent that you take that little bit of extra I don't know what it is to look at however you how the people you know practice their self-care if that means that you're better 
to do whatever it is you need to do for other people, then I think that's the most important thing. You know, I saw someone actually comment the other just recently on social media that they never put themselves first and I was sort of shocked. I was sort of like, how do you get through the day? You know, like how do you actually make sure then that you can be there for other people, whether it's your family or your friends or your students or, your, you know, your, where you work in your workplace, customers, etc. How can you do that if you haven't actually looked after yourself first because you're just going to run yourself into the ground? Well, and I think that's what, I mean, that is often what happens. I mean, that's that, you know, it's like it works until it doesn't. Yes, exactly. And then you may have been indispensable before, but now you are not only dispensable, you're actually useless. Yes, that's right. <laughs> because you can't get out of bed or, you, you know, you're so unwell. Yeah, that's right. You can't do a day's work and turn up the next day or whatever, whatever your routine is. So, and you've missed all the signs. I think that's the interesting thing about looking after yourself is that frequently and I've done it myself you just ignore you ignore the signs until it's too late and then it takes longer to recover and I think that's maybe there's an analogy to be made there with how we as a community approach the COVID thing as well like if we ignore all these things they're not just going to go away you know (laughs) And just because it's invisible doesn't mean it's not real. You know, just because fatigue is in, so I always say to people, just because fatigue is, you know, you can't necessarily prove it. And, and I'm sure because I have endometriosis as well. It's like these are invisible illnesses. And so you, you quote unquote look fine. <laughs> but I think we all know now just because someone looks fine doesn't mean they're. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And that's why I just wonder, just because, you know, if the economy is looking great, that doesn't mean that the community is great you know there's that social capital and all those things that we know about that have to stay strong for a a community to be functioning and if we don't look after the people first then what is the point of having you know a great Australian dollar or you know I'm not a financial expert but all those things pale into insignificance if people are going to be dying exactly or you know becoming so unwell that they that they can't work to support themselves let alone maybe supporting the dependents in their lives and that sort of thing and 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 it's it's a really you know I do think there's a lot of analogies we can draw from personal to uh sort of yeah like a global, global yeah um national global sort of the, those those larger levels because I mean I always say you're a person first and a teacher second so you have to look after the person and then the teacher will take care of themselves and it's kind of the same on a, on a community level yeah, unless we look after, you know, if we look now, you know, as we're talking, those suburbs in Melbourne have been locked down. Well, if if that can't be maintained, it's only going to get worse, you know? Like, and so when people say, oh, but I, you know, I can't go out and have a coffee, I'm like, but if you just do this for this short time, not only will you be able to have a coffee, you'll be able to sit down and have a meal, you know? Like, it's... um. Well, I think it also, uh, you know, if we bring that sort of perspective then back to our self-care, you know, like for us individually when we say, oh, I don't have time to take 20 minutes today to look after myself or to exercise or I don't have time for, you know, basic self-care. I don't have time to sleep eight hours a night. Well, if you sleep eight hours every night, then you'll actually be more productive and you'll actually 
in the long run have more time. <laughs> Whereas if you if you skimp on it now, you're actually you're setting yourself up for it to get worse. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm by no means got it nailed or anything yet, but for me, that's been one of the key things this year is a sleep routine. And it does, it makes a world of difference. And I found myself giving a small kind lecture to a student in year nine just before the holidays who said that they'd spent 23 hours on the weekend, on a weekend working on an assignment. And I said, but why? Yeah. (laughs) And she didn't really know, but it was about, you know, being a high achiever, obviously. And then the same student the next had a maths exam coming up and she'd emailed me one night, which is fine, but like a 10 to 10. And so I was in bed and I said to her the next day, I said, you know what I'm doing at 10 to 10? I said, I'm asleep. And she looked at me like I was like a creature from another planet. And I said, and you should be too. Oh, no, no. I stayed up till 2.30 studying And I said, well, that's ridiculous because now you're just tired for the rest of the day. Like I'm great at giving that advice to people, obviously. (laughs) Well, it's so easy to to see it, especially with our students to say, oh, but we know so, you know, the science is so clear about sleep and memory and how how you sleep, you actually need to sleep to learn. And we know all that. But then, of course, we're the exceptions. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It doesn't apply to me, but it applies to all of you. But she actually might have listened I think because then the next day she said I went to bed at 10 30 I'm like good that's when you should be going to bed because you know I said you could stop studying now and you'd still pass that exam in two days time which also was a you know a horrid sort of moment of horror on her face that you wouldn't study every second until the exam came and so I think you know if if we I think another thing about well-being is that we have to model that behavior for students, I think, more so than ever because they're pulled in so many different directions, you know. So it, I, th- I don't think there's anything great about walking into a class and saying, oh, I was up all night, you know, till two marking your assignments or I got up at three th- this morning to finish my marking like it's a badge of honour. I don't, I don't think that that is a good thing <laughs> to say. I think it's better to say, actually, no, I haven't finished marking your assignments yet because... You know, I'm getting to them tonight and tomorrow night. You know, like you'll have to wait because I've only got so much time. You know, and if that's within the regular sort of time frames, then that's okay, you know. And modelling for each other as well, I think, because I do think, and because this is, again, even in a non-COVID year, teachers have such different experiences from different schools because the culture of each individual school and sometimes even each staff room within a school can be so different and one staff room can be really supportive or one school can be really supportive of, yes, you should have a life outside of teaching and you're allowed to sleep eight hours a night. And then another situation, another staff room or another school is, you know, the culture is all this busy as a badge of honour and nobody sleeps here and we're, you know, we're sacrificing ourselves for the kids because that's how you be a good teacher. And it's really important, I think, if you're surrounded by those messages to seek out this podcast for one, but seek out people who are not uh, peddling that message because it's unsustainable. Definitely unsustainable and just really unhealthy because then also like we are fortunate to have, you know, the holidays that we get. And then if you're just going to use them 
to recover so you can do the same thing over and over again and be a wreck for 10 weeks. I don't know what sort of life that is, you know, so you're not putting yourself first as a person, which is, yeah, really just even if it's not making you physically unwell, I just don't think it's a mindset to be in. Like I don't know of another profession that where people get their, I mean, there probably is one, but people get so much of their self-worth from sort of just running themselves into exhaustion <laughs> and being sort of proud of it. I just, it's very unusual when we, if we stop and think about it, you know. So I think, you know, you do your best and you, we're there to do everything we can within, the, you know, bounds of reality. Yeah, and, and also with, within, with a long-term view, I think we want to have long lives, long careers, and we want that we don't just want quantity, we want quality as well, you know. So, yeah, I think it's important to take the long view that it's that stitch in time saves nine, but an extra hour or two of sleep tonight and every night is going to actually set me up long-term. And, of course, then – Really, then when emergency situations do happen. You've or, got the energy to deal with it. Yeah, that's right. You've got the wherewithal. You've got something in the tank. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's what was interesting about the start of term two is we'd actually, because the, you know, the government gave us that week before the holidays and then we still had two weeks break, I felt really ready for that the, you know, shift to online learning and you know we were doing a mix really at our school with you know kids in front of us as everyone was and so that was a great feeling you know to feel like you were ready and prepared so I think that's something to think about how can we now carry that that through because I really didn't and like in the weeks nine and ten of this term two just gone I was you know I was getting there but it was I was sort of sailing close to the wind and I did make some decisions to not do some things and save them because they could wait. So I didn't sort of just wreck myself in a week. So I think those it's okay to make those decisions if it's appropriate. You know, if you obviously if you're handing things back late and you're not meeting your deadlines and things for uh, marking and assessment and reports, then there's a problem. But if you are going to and you can do it, in a different way where you're not up at three every morning, don't be. <laughs> and also I think, uh, you know, you, you're right. We, we want to make sure that we're doing day-to-day, week-to-week, doing the, the must-do activities, that you know, the, the deadlines that can't really be shifted. But I also have this niggling sense that actually even some of those major deadlines that at the moment can't be shifted, you know, report cards are due and report cards are due and that sort of thing. But actually still some of the deadlines are kind of unrealistic and un- and the workload is unreasonable. And if every teacher in Australia <laughs> changed the way we approached it and so we were starting to speak up more, you know, if every single teacher in a school said, hang on a minute, that deadline's impossible. We can't get, we can't, We all the exams come in on Monday and you want our report cards in on Tuesday, that's impossible, you know, and that, obviously there's usually a little bit more time than that sometimes. But, you know, if, if we actually also all were collectively of that mindset that, well, hang on, there's reasonable workload and this isn't it and it's not unreasonable to say I need to sleep to function. <laughs> and I'm very aware that that's not 
not always a, an option to say in in every little situation and, and employment situations and, and all of that. But um, yeah. Well, yeah. Well, and uh, my department did have that situation last year, and I think I've had it for many years. But this was the first time I taught a subject where we had a, a essay exam. And it was handed in, I think, on a Thursday or something, like they did it on a Thursday. And we had to have them all marked by the Monday. And, I mean, it was just nuts. Because realistically, that's one working day. I mean, obviously, we work on the weekends, but actually. (laughs) That's right. Yeah, we did it. But then all said to each other, well, that just can't happen again because those timelines were just too close. And, you know, if someone had suddenly fallen sick or something, then there's a heap of slack for someone to pick up. And so this year we have actually, as a department, moved those units around so that won't happen again, which, and that was one of the key reasons and it didn't make any difference to anything else. So we actually were thinking about and fortunate enough to have a coordinator who was thinking about how horrible that was and it, that it was unnecessary to do it that way. So that was a, you know, an example of, I think, a positive where people sort of also went, oh, my goodness, now we've got to mark all these in sort of, and you're not, you know, if you've got better time, you will do a better job too of marking. You know, that's just makes sort of common sense. If you're exhausted and you, you know, just marked 100 assignments or something and rushing your way through them, you're not going to be doing the same quality of work that you could be doing if you're, you know, doing it in a timely fashion. So I think there's all those kind of things to think about too for people. If, if you're flogging yourself, you know, staying up late and getting up early and working every afternoon, what's the actual quality of the work that you're doing then? No, so sometimes I think that, you know, I'm so busy, I'm so busy, culture that we can fall into doesn't help us in terms of, you know, if you're just working all the time, you know, I know I'm less efficient and less less productive than if I just go, all right, I've got this much time and I'm going to do this many and I'll get them done and then I'll, you know, methodically work my way through it rather than sort of slogging through everything in 13 hours or something ridiculous. So because you just know you, you cognitively can't cope um, in the same way with that. Nobody can. So whatever your job is. So it's, um, yeah, there's lots of little things I think as teachers that we could do to help ourselves a little bit more, you know, even if it's just small, small changes to the way we think about how we allocate our work in our week or when we do it, you know, work when it's best for you. Like I know I work better in the morning and I don't work well. I can, but I don't work well at night. So I try and do my hardest thinking work, you know, before midday if I can, you know. So it doesn't always happen, but that's the goal, you know, so... And I think being aware of that and because everything about, you know, pretty much everything that we've spoken about today, but really most of my work, it's always, well, one, you want to try and differentiate for you because everybody is different. And also sometimes you can't do it the way you want or you would prefer or, you know, sometimes it's just, there's just a situation that nobody would ask for like COVID or whatever and we just have to suck it up and do it or this is just what the department says and we just have to do it and it's not right but we have to do it, you know. So it's always a bit of a tension between those two but if we're not aware in the first place or or reflective in the first place and sometimes we need to get some distance, you know, we need to have school holidays to actually have enough chance to kind of recover a little bit 
to be able to sort of go, oh, yeah, actually, that was not working for me. I'm going to do something different. And then it's a trial and error type of situation. But I'm hoping that maybe this whole COVID experiment, you know, I mean, the, the COVID educational disruptive experiment has maybe given a lot of a lot of us a chance to just pause and go, okay, well, that was now I've got a bit of distance on how we used to do it. Let's try something. Just a little shift, as you said. Yeah, one thing. I think what we, or I'll just speak for myself, I won't speak for everybody. What I don't do as well as I could is make that time for reflecting. You know, I think because we're always so forward-looking, you know, you finish one unit, you're on to the next one, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then you might not revisit it for a year. I think that making that time to at the time, so sort of like now, the COVID stuff, reflect and go, oh, actually, this is something that worked really well that I'm going to keep in, in some form in my teaching or my planning or whatever I did. Or this is something that actually, you know, was terrible. I'm not going to do that anymore. You know, like we really need to be reflective operators and that will help us work smarter. And then what that goes for any industry that you're in, obviously. But And that goes for personal life as well as professional life. Yeah, we don't we don't give ourselves the luxury of that time. And I think that's the same as like taking the 20 minutes a day to, you know, for some kind of self-care, whether it's going for a walk or eating something healthy or, you know, just sitting quietly and staring at the wall sometimes. If we like taking that little bit of time can make a big difference because it accumulates, you know, and if you've reflected through the year, the next year you'll work different and hopefully smarter, you know. So because you do see people in all jobs who've done the same thing the same way over and over again for however long and is it working, you know, so or is it working to its optimum or could it be working in a, a different or better way? I just think that's absolutely invaluable so absolutely well so I have two more questions for you really so number one is is kind of the top tips for I always say early career teachers but really it's all teachers what would be your tips for teachers to have a thriving career and a thriving life Right. That's a good question. Mm. Or maybe the question, actually, I probably should rephrase it to resilient career and resilience because really that's, that's the, my focus this year is really around the concept of resilience. Uh, I think uh, a couple of things, really. I think it's, it's really important to be really honest with yourself and, know, and, and admit when something hasn't gone well and learn from that rather than, you know, I you meet teachers who everything's always fantastic and I just don't know if that's reality. Um, so I just think learning from, like taking something from every experience is, is really important, even if it's been really bad, and using that in a productive way to move forward. And I'm not excellent at that. And often I, you know, I wouldn't mind as much as other people, maybe more sometimes. But... In the end, you know, not doing everything the same or same way all the time is really, really value, valuable, I think, for building some resilience. But I also think for me it's communicating with the people around me who I work with it helps me because you cannot bottle everything up. So if there's some frustrations or there's 
difficulties or whatever, you need to have a person who is your listening person that you can bounce things off. And you need to also sometimes be ready to hear the hard hard advice, you know, <laughs> I think, to, and to grow from that because we can't just sail through and everything be perfect all the time and we're wonderful. I think it's good to have someone who you respect, who you are willing to have say to you, eh, I don't know if I'd do it like that, you know, and really think about it without getting cranky or upset or what have you so like I guess that's I'm talking about a mentor but not necessarily just like a peer or trusted friend that a safe honest peer yeah and I think the other thing too about resilience is to and this goes back to the your comment earlier about the stories that we tell ourselves I find it's really easy for me to look around and think oh my gosh everyone's doing this so easily and so much better than me I don't think that's ever the case in reality. I think everyone is always struggling in some way. So it's important not to compare yourself to anyone except yourself, you know, if you want to do that. So um, because otherwise you sort of spend your life beating yourself up because you're not as good as this person or that person or they seem to do that really easily or how did they get that done so quickly? Don't worry about it. Yeah. And also it may not be the may not be reality. They might be just putting the Instagram version of things up. That's right. Yeah. And I think that's a quite a big problem, you know, becoming an increasing problem really for everybody. But yeah, I think just to be really sure of your own reality and just work work within that. And I, sometimes I think that means putting blinkers on a little bit, but also tr- trusting yourself that you you know, we all do know stuff and that's okay. And it's also okay to ask for help. I think that's really important as well. And I think that's a sign of resilience really or a strength is being able to ask ask a question of whoever you need to. And, you know, often you'll find that they don't know either. <laughs> like, and that's reassuring in many ways. So I just think resilience is about growth and I think that we just have to, again, live that behaviour or model that behaviour. That's what we're expecting of our students, that they grow and learn and ask questions and are able to be vulnerable in some way to be able to do that. Well, I think as teachers we have to be doing that too. Don't pretend that you've got all the answers if you because we haven't, <laughs> you know, we're never going to. So I think it's just so important to be open to that fact, really, you know, and just it's all right to show it like a kid that you don't know. Or a colleague. Yes, yeah, it's all right, you know, like and if they think you're ridiculous, well, then that's their problem. But they probably won't because it'll probably actually build connection yes if hopefully and if it doesn't well then they're not the people for you you know you've got to sort of find your find your tribe as well I think which is really important in any profession but teaching particularly and just learn and grow from other people all the time I think that builds that strength that allows you to be um, resilient and bounce back from you know difficult situations with more ease I guess yeah so yeah because as 2020 has shown us, difficult situations will arise. Yeah, yeah, they will. And they'll come out of nowhere when you're least expecting them. And I think that's the same for 
living a life. I think those things I said probably probably more about life than teaching or equally. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, that's for me, that's a, the kind of person I would like to be. You know, that's my goal one day, to be that person who's really resilient. But it can only come through trial and error and giving things a go, really. So um, I think if we apply that to our profession, then that's the most we can ask of people. That's right. Well, thank you, Wendy. I have one more question, which is around the Resilient Teacher Group Program that you've been a part of this year. Are you happy to talk about that? Yeah, sure. Yeah, well, I just would love for you to share maybe just briefly what your favourite thing has been about the program and what you would what you would tell others about it. Okay. I think for me the best thing uh, about it has been that it has really kept that awareness of self-care and well-being at the forefront of my mind. And I'm sort of talking on a daily basis, whereas previous in previous years that definitely hasn't been the case. You know, you sort of get all carried away in the holidays, I'm going to do this and that and have these great habits and, you know, I'm going to eat the right things all the time and exercise for three hours every day and then that's all unrealistic and it falls in a hole. Whereas I've found that being part of the program and the workshops and other things has just meant that it's become just more of a daily awareness, I guess. And, you know, it's not the main part of my day that I'm thinking about that all the time, but it's just there like a reminder to me to, all right, that's enough work now or, okay, you're going home and now you're going to do something else or what are you doing for yourself as a person rather than just thinking of work all the time during the term. So I think out of everything, I think it's been immensely valuable for me. So, it's yeah, it's developed a, a habit, I suppose, a habit of mind over this six months, which feeling hopeful and positive that I'll be able to continue because it does take a while to form a habit, obviously. Especially when there's, you know, a lot of, lots of change, lots of other influences and, you know, a culture that really, really I do think it's countercultural to treat yourself like a person first and a teacher. Oh, definitely. Yes. Yeah. So in many situations at work, different things happen and you sort of start to groan and then you're like, no, no, wait on. You don't actually have to take all that on or you don't actually have to take all that on board. Something, I think my big catch cry is, you know, something else will happen. If it doesn't happen this way, something else will happen and we'll adjust. So I think that feeling of being able to let myself be flexible has been something else that come out of not just my previous sort of history and experience, but then this year so far with both being part of the program against a backdrop of very strange sort of world events. Very strange. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to use the word unprecedented there and I stopped myself. Uh, <laughs> Now we've got to find a new word. Yeah, we do. <laughs> I can't. I just can't do it. Um, but, yeah, I think really probably it was the ideal time to be involved in the, the self-care and well-being because it really sort of made it very, you know, it was a very pointed kind of moment. It's like, well, here's the lesson, you know, look after yourself. Really look after yourself. Don't just sort of, you know, half-heartedly look after yourself. 
as simple as washing your hands, look after yourself, and then the other stuff has to follow, you know. So, so that's been really good for me, I think. Yeah. I don't know if that's answered your question, but... Yeah. No, that's lovely. Thank, and I'm so glad. And look, I think you're right. I, I do think it was unbeknownst to me when I <laughs> obviously released the program at the start of the year. I didn't know that that's what uh, the first half of 2020 was going to throw our way. But um, I do think it was a really ideal time to be involved in a program yes, like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. You know, if we didn't get anything out of it this time, then there was something wrong, you know. <laughs> so, yeah, because difficult not to think about how to look after yourself anyway so it was the ideal time to do that um yeah so and for me as well came at a really good time well thank you wendy thank you so much for uh sharing so candidly today because i think i really think it's important that we have these real honest conversations you know and especially for people who are maybe not in schools where they actually do have supportive departments or where people aren't doing any of that reflecting or they're not, uh, you know, they're not able to access a program where there are other like-minded teachers trying to build similar habits and, and support each other to do so. So um, thank you very much. Oh, no, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me have a chat. My pleasure. Well, I hope you enjoyed that really candid conversation with Wendy. And and as Wendy says in the episode, we need to be honest with ourselves and we need to be, you know, taking the time to reflect on where we're at and what's working and what's not working for us. And so I invite you now to just take a moment and think about your own health and well-being this year. We're halfway through the year. Obviously, it's been a really unusual year with all the changes that coronavirus has Uh, thrust upon us. And I want you to, you know, cast your mind back to the end of term four last year. I'd be willing to bet you were exhausted. Uh, I hope you weren't in hospital like Wendy was, but I'd be willing to bet that you were exhausted physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and your tank was right on empty. And maybe you're running on fumes until the holidays start. Maybe that's how you feel right now if you've just started holidays. I know because I've been there and I know because you tell me because it's so common, right, for teachers to feel that way at the end of the term, particularly at the end of the year. But I know you also know that my mission at Self-Care for Teachers is to help you not end up at that state at the end of the year or at any time of year, actually. And I know that it's really hard. So, really, that's what the Resilient Teacher Coaching Program seeks to address, this problem of being so completely depleted all the time, but particularly at the end of the term, at the end of the year. Now, it's not a quick fix. I don't do those. I don't believe in them. I don't actually think anyone who's offering you a quick fix is legit. I think they're probably peddling snake oil because, you know, being healthy and being consistently and sustainably well, it doesn't happen with quick fixes. And even with the best habits and the best intentions, sometimes stuff still happens. You know, life still happens. Emergencies still happen crises still happen and illness still happens. So, uh, you know, I don't want to paint some rosy picture like you, you, you can do one coaching program or buy some product and, and life will be perfect. That's not the way it works. And actually, you know, as Wendy and I spoke about, like really it's actually the being honest about that in a safe space, honest about the tough stuff as well as what's going well is really where growth happens and really what resilience is all about. So, the Resilient Teacher Coaching Program is open again for enrollments 
We begin on the 11th of July. Uh, That is the opening call. If you're listening to this episode in early July, get in touch. And it runs through term three and term four and will wrap up in December 2020. So information isn't enough. Information alone isn't enough. If you really want something to change in your health and well-being and resilience as a person first and a teacher second, then you have to take some kind of action. Um, And it needs to be sustainable, consistent action over time, not just as Wendy said, you know, these huge leaps in the holidays and then letting it all flow by the wayside during the term time. So this program is designed to support you to do just that while you can connect with a cohort of like-minded peers on the same journey as you. So what you get is uh, fortnightly group coaching calls from July through to December 2020. There's a couple of different options for those, a Tuesday night, a Saturday morning. So, you know, can fit within people's different timetables. And you also get access to me uh, in between, so emails and laser coaching sessions and that sort of thing if they're needed. There's a whole bunch of bonuses, including a copy of the Self-Care Planner and Healthy Habits Tracker, plus, you know, a at-home virtual retreat that we're going to run during Self-Care September. So you get access to all of that, and I invite you to swipe up, click the link, and come and join us in this round of the Resilient Teacher Coaching Program so that we can approach the rest of your 2020 school year differently because you're a person first and a teacher second and you're worthy of your own care. See you later. Thanks for listening to the Teacher Wellbeing Podcast brought to you by Self Care for Teachers. If you've enjoyed it, go ahead and subscribe in your chosen podcast player so you don't miss an episode. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts or Spotify, hit the three dots, share it to your Facebook or Instagram stories and let your friends know that you're listening. And if something in this episode made you think about a teacher that you care about and you think they need to hear it, send it to them now. Let's spread the message of teacher wellbeing and together we can create thriving school communities. Show notes for the podcast can be found at www.selfcareforteachers.com.au forward slash podcast. And you can find me on Facebook and Instagram using the handle at selfcareforteachers. As always, remember you're a person first and a teacher second and you are worthy of your own care.